Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tats Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Neil O'Grady. He's the co-founder of Demand Curve. All right, Neil, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. So, you know, our focus is construction building materials, but I always like to to learn from people in other industries, you know, right. whether it's marketing or whatnot. I, I feel like a purely original idea is it's almost a myth and right. that, you know, it's been done in some form or another, and it's just our job to discover it. What are your thoughts on that? I've always kind of held the belief that there's a lot of people that start startups and they kind of operate in stealth mode. And I've always thought that's kind of dumb because they're being protective of what I think is actually the lowest value thing, which is the idea. Whereas the actual value comes from executing it. And often it's like, people come up with ideas and they're not actually valuable to the market. So for example, Slack, which maybe your audience knows Teams better, but Teams basically copied the concept of Slack and Slack actually started as a video game company. And that didn't actually end up working out, but they took their in-chat game system, uh, like in-chat or in-game chat system and turned it into a full product that they sold to startups. Just like Airbnb used to give people air mattresses to put on the floor. And that's why it's called Airbnb. And they even sold like cereal. And, you know, both of those companies are tens or hundreds of billions of dollars. And it took them 10 years plus to get there. And they had all kinds of horrible ideas in the process. <laughs> but they just came up with an idea, experimented, see if anybody cared, continued to hone the product until eventually they had something that people actually wanted. So yeah, I, I don't necessarily think ideas are the, all that valuable, especially when it's just like an idea in one person's head. Like I think it gets better the more brains that are looking at it. Just like I really love the, like I'm a programmer who became a marketer and programmers do open source. So they make some sort of useful piece of code that does something and then they kind of release it and then tens of thousands of other coders all go in there and they add their own thing and they they test it and they QA it until it's rock solid and it's way better. Mm-hmm. And you know the original person doesn't get paid for that, but they get the the credibility of having the, been the one who made it. And you know they just get to feel good that they've contributed to the broader ecosystem. So yeah. So what sort of led to your going from programming to marketing? Because that's not always the most right. natural thing that you would no. see. So what what clicked for you that what happened that made you go that way? It's actually more complicated because I started as a mechanical engineer. <laughs> and then I I had governmental co-op jobs, which just kind of ground the soul out of me because they were just extremely slow. And I just sit at my desk, not like pretending to do work. So I think I realized that it's like, okay, I don't want to work for other people what can I do? And given my upbringing, I I just never considered starting my own thing as even a possibility. So I was like, okay, what what kind of postgraduate degree can I do that would give me some sort of autonomy? And at the time I was like, oh, maybe I could go to med school. 
So I actually prepared to go to med school. I moved to Quebec to do so. And then I just discovered that in the process of moving across the country, learning another language, I was just like, oh, there's so many millions of things that I'd like to do. And going to med school, I'd just be busy with that for you know the rest of my life. So I then tried to teach myself programming, all with the intention of starting a business one day. Mm-hmm. So I became a freelance programmer. And even still, like you're always, as a freelancer, you're working on somebody else's dream. And it's a very common thing where you help somebody who just has the idea and you kind of make their initial thing and it never goes anywhere. So it gets kind of tiring to put so much effort into building these applications and websites that somebody else doesn't execute on growing. So basically you have a portfolio of things that never nobody ever really saw or played with. Mm-hmm. So I knew I wanted to start a business. I didn't I had the technical skills to start one, but I wanted the actual like marketing and business skills. And I lucked out that my uh, co-founder reached out to me about six years ago to start a marketing, specifically a growth marketing agency to help startups. And I saw that as even a temporary thing that I could do just so I could learn enough marketing that I'd be somewhat competent to start my own thing later. And then I just kind of got addicted to marketing in general, because I actually realized that it's more complicated than engineering. Mm. Because with, with engineering, I find there's like very, things are a lot more black and white and it's a little bit more simple. Like if you're programming, you're, yes, it's hard, but you have like immediate feedback loops of whether this is working or not. And it's a lot more like, yes, this is done. This does what I want it to where, and you're like constrained to a specific like language and tasks. Whereas like marketing, it's like, okay, my company is not growing. Okay. There's about 10,000 different things that I could do. And it's not just a lot of times people's perceptions of marketing is that it's just, uh, I'm going to buy some ads. Whereas I see it as being literally anything you could do that can make your company grow. And like an example I like to think of is like a shoe company. If you're at sport check and there's shoes there, one objection you might have is like, Oh, I don't know if it's going to fit. So that's why they allow you to try them on. And just like, if you're at a, like a women's clothing store, it'd be very smart for them to have a couch near the change rooms so that the bored husband or boyfriend has a place to sit because if he's just standing there uncomfortable, he's going to want his girlfriend to leave and probably not spend as much money. So that's technically marketing. It's just putting like a comfortable place for these people to sit in clothing stores, but it's not what people think of marketing. And it's just like, again, one of the infinite number of things that somebody could do for a business to help grow it. So it becomes just way more addictive to the personality of somebody who just likes to solve problems. It's just why they went into engineering. Yeah. We talked briefly before we aired on the um, evolution, things working, things not working, stuff like that. When you first started six years ago, kind of walk me through evolutionary things because, you know, there's with marketing, there's some aspect of stylistic because there's 10,000 choices. Walk me through the history of what was working, what were you interested in, and then what you are looking at and doing now. Right. So six years ago, that was when the concepts of growth hacking was popular. Just generally the idea of growth marketing or so it was very popular for a while that give a few examples just for people that are not familiar. 
Yeah. So I would say growth marketing is like an evolution or a different view on marketing. Whereas in the past you'd have, you know, product organizations or product departments, then you have marketing departments. The product team would make something and then they'd like pass it off to the marketing team and say like, Hey, get people to buy this. And you know, they would just run ads or whatever. But the problem is, is that, you know, maybe the product people don't know how to change their product or design it in the first place that actually makes it conducive to be like marketed well, or that, you know, people will naturally want to recommend it to people. So growth marketing was kind of this evolution was saying that no, a marketer should not be siloed in the marketing department. They should actually work completely across the entire organization with product teams, with everything to try and help grow it. Just kind of like the example I used, putting a a chair in a clothing store. That'd be a more of an example of growth marketing versus kind of the more traditional brand marketing, like people, Coca-Cola just running ads, trying to convince you that Coca-Cola is better than Pepsi. So it became very popular about 60 years ago to focus purely on growth marketing Brand marketing was a waste of time unless you're running an ad that directly drives somebody to purchase something. It's it's a waste of time. Whereas I'd say that's kind of been shifting. And part of that is just that there's more and more companies running ads. So they become increasingly more expensive. I think people are getting a little, it's called ad fatigue. They're just tired of seeing ads. They're it's just you have to make a way better ad now than you used to. And then you also have things like the economy. As the economy goes down, people are less likely to just buy a random thing that they saw on Instagram, right? So there's been a shift to actually no brand marketing is important because if you spend a lot of effort in making your brand look great and sound great, the next time they're in the store, they're more likely to reach for you than than not. Or the next time they need your product like yours, or even the next time they see your ad, if they have a lot of like positive associations with your brand, they're more likely to purchase something from your ad if not. So yeah, there's been this complete shift where in the past, everyone was focusing purely on brand. And then it was just like, no brand sucks. If people are not immediately purchasing something from some sort of campaign, then it's a waste. And now it's like, oh, actually now performance is ruining your brand and it's not good good in the long term. Uh, so it's kind of shifting back to brand marketing. So, and then like another trend, as I said, there was growth hacking and that was, that was kind of popularized with companies like uh, Hotmail, actually, to use an older example, where it was at, whenever you sent an email using Hotmail, there would just be like this little thing at the bottom that said, and just basically pitched Hotmail and asked somebody to sign up for an account. And just that little thing caused it to just go completely viral because, you know, people are sending billions of emails per day. And once you've seen it the 20th time, maybe you finally sign up for one. Another example was uh, Dropbox, just their ability to like their referral mechanism, like, oh, you get hundred megabytes for free, but if you invite more friends, you get 200 megabytes. So that was the concept of growth hacking where you just take tiny little things that and just like obsess over trying to find the little thing that makes your business go from you know 1 million a year to 10 million dollars a year so there was a huge focus on that but again there's been a trend with all trends there's always a reversal so with that it's just like 
if you purely focus on growth hacking, then you're not really focusing on the important fundamentals of actually like making a really good, useful product. And you should probably focus more effort into that. And then you can find these little tick tactics and hacks that help kind of multiply it, but it should not be your main focus. Yeah, for sure. What are things uh, specifically uh, you're doing now? I know you're posting a lot on your personal brands and stuff like that. How do those things work together? Or how do you think about that? Right. So again, that's, that's another trend. Whereas I'd say people used to not trust random people online, like, you know, 10 years ago, if some guy just started posting online, you'd be like, who is this? Who is this weirdo? Uh, Whereas there's, there's a reversal now. People actually trust people more than they trust brands. So Mm -hmm. If you post the same thing on your personal account versus say the specified growth podcast account, like you'll get way more engagement on your personal account, like guaranteed part of that. Yeah. They just trust you more. And then there's just like a real person behind it, which, you know, people just like, so yeah, the, the trend now is like organic social in particular is, is very popular right now and doing it with personal accounts, getting people to like you personally, and then using that to kind of funnel a percentage of the people who follow you to actually like purchasing your product or signing up for your newsletter and things like that. It's a longer term strategy for sure. And then for us, like a huge part of what we do, it just requires uh, partnering with other creators and brands. So Mm -hmm. the more known that I am, the the more likely it's going to be that I am able to email somebody or DM them on Twitter and then they respond positively. A lot of people are saying the best way to make somebody open your cold email is to actually make it a warm email. Like just don't blast a thousand people and like don't obsess over what subject line or whatever or the copy that you're using because we we all just ignore those things. But if you spend, I like the example I like to use, like if you got an email from Joe Rogan, and you knew that it was actually Joe Rogan, like you'd respond, right? Because it's Joe Rogan. That's because he spent years developing like a brand and notoriety that you're, you're, you'd be excited to get a cold email of him pitching something to you, right? You put in that effort to get known and then you can email people and they're more likely to see your message as being a positive rather than a negative thing. When you get a message or something, or just, just from your point of view, what are some of the things you look at? I mean, obviously, if they're everywhere, okay. But let's say, you know, someone that's starting out, they're starting to throw stuff out there and there's, you know, sent a message, you got the message. What would you look? Would you Google their name? Like, how would you, how do you approach kind of validating who this person is and how you should think about this email or interaction? Right. Yeah, there's there's a few things. If it's on something like LinkedIn, you have their benefit of being able to click in and seeing what they do, where they live, what companies they've worked at, how many followers they have. You know, unfortunately, if somebody's got 100,000 followers, it's just like social proof that says, oh, maybe this person's worth worth talking to versus if they have 100, right? The other is just, is the message a template or does it feel like a template? And if it is, I'm probably just going to ignore it. If I get the sense that they're immediately going to pitch me on something, I'm also just not going to open it. Whereas if instead, if somebody's reaching out and trying to build, like it appears like they're actually trying to build a real connection with me as the individual, then I'm way more likely to actually want to respond. And then again, it's like, yeah, if I like them and then they eventually pitch me something, like I'm probably not going to be annoyed or it's like, 
I will just have positive associations with them. And then maybe I'll be like, okay, I'll click on, click on their profile. They've got a link. I'll click on it. Like, oh, actually this product would be useful to me or not. So that's kind of ultimately, like, I think it all boils down to just like, don't just try to use people. If you genuinely try to show that you care and interested in them and you're just trying to build connections, then it's just way more likely that they're actually going to want to do business with you. Yeah. When you work with a brand through your agency, is there a standard process you walk, walk them through, or is it like, who are they? And it's custom. Mm -hmm. Like, how how do you think through your process? Yeah. Our agency is a bit different. So a lot of marketing agencies, they kind of specialize in say we run Facebook ads or we do SEO and, you know, maybe they specialize even further where like we do it for the, uh, you know, construction materials industry, or we do it for, for, uh, better life e-commerce brands like Lululemon and Mudwater and and stuff like that. Whereas we tried to take a little bit more of a, like to call it channel agnostic approach, where instead of trying to push people to like a specific method of marketing, such as running ads, we kind of act a little bit more like a general contractor. So somebody comes to us with a problem, you know, they not growing, or they're having like chaos in their marketing organization. And then we come in, we assess, we audit what's actually wrong. We come up with a strategy and then we bring in specialists, uh, just like a general contractor might bring in a plumber to do somebody's bathroom. And then we manage those relationships and manage the project and kind of execute on it. And the reason we do that is that, yeah, we just don't like how a lot of agencies like some company will come to them and say, Hey, we want to spend hundred thousand dollars a month on Facebook ads. And really what that business needs is to improve its product, improve its website, completely change its strategy. And maybe Facebook ads is completely not what they should be doing, but they'll take it anyway because they have high overhead. They need to pay their staff. It's a company that they'd love to say that they worked with. So yeah, we try to help them identify what they should actually be doing and then help them execute on it. And if we're, if we're not super skilled at doing that work or, or we're not skilled, like experienced in that specific industry, then we bring in outside experienced help to execute on it for them. Yeah. What are the common areas you look into to figure out why they're not growing? You said the marketing organization, what are some signs that you've seen in the past? Right. So one type of company we often work with, it's in what's called the like series A stage, which I don't, your industry particularly knows it's a tech thing. Basically a lot of tech companies go through several rounds of raising money because they're not actually profitable and they have to take outside money. So the first one is generally called like seed. It's generally like maybe a million dollars. Series A is when you start getting into maybe like the multi-million or tens of million dollars of raised. And So companies that are kind of in that stage, it's often that they've kind of just, they've come up with some sort of product people like, and it's grown quickly, but their internal departments and everything are like not organized well and it's cobbled together. So one of the things we do is we come in and we try to like mature their organization and help them like organize things a bit better, hire the right people. So it's actually something more like McKinsey or something or Deloitte does with companies a little bit more like business consulting. So, and that way they can kind of get themselves to 
kind of like change the company so that it's more likely to be able to continue growing and operating efficiently from there. So that that's one aspect. Another is just completely diving into like, how are you currently getting customers? Like to speak to all your customers, like what value do you see them giving? Like, what are your associations with this brand? Uh, another question you want to ask is like, how upset would you be if this product no longer existed? And if not all that many of your customers say that they'd be really upset if you didn't exist, then it probably means that you need to focus more on improving your product for solving a problem that is a little bit more painful for people. Yeah, it, it's really just diving in deep, speaking to customers, speaking to people across the organization and looking in their data, determining what's working, what's not working, looking at all those crazy metrics and then trying to decide kind of the next step forward. Yeah. So you built out newsletters, you know, courses, all that stuff. I mean, what from the stuff that you've done, what's worked the best, like in terms of giving value or attracting interest in what you're doing? Because you've you've able to, you know, you were an IC uh, YC back startup. You have all these things. Like, what what's been the key to all that? Yeah. So just to give an overview of how the the two companies kind of work, we have um, we have one company, Demand Curve, which it creates content to teach people how to grow companies themselves. So whether that's courses, uh, we also provide resources like a community for people to use to, to engage with other people. Uh, we have a weekly newsletter. We write all kinds of articles that go very deep and teach these things. And a lot of it is free. I'd say 95% of what we produce is actually free. And the idea is that we prove that we know what we're talking about and we increase the kind of positive associations people have with our brand that they then are trusting us enough to then purchase, say, one of our paid products, whether it's a course or to work with our agency. So for example, we don't actually do any marketing for our own agency. We just kind of focus on providing a lot of free educational value to people using demand curve. And then we have like one link in the the nav bar of demand curve and like one link in the footer. And then at the buried at the bottom of each newsletter, we mention our, our agency and um, yeah, that, that's all we do to promote it. And it does, you know, multiple seven figures a year just from people having positive associations and eventually trusting us enough to want to, to work with us. So that's really been our main thing. And that's what's worked for us is just providing 95% free value and then building trust over time. Whereas it's funny, I have somebody with a very similar business structure. One is like a newsletter and one is an agency, but they've taken the complete opposite route where they just grow completely with ads. So it creates this kind of funny dynamic where they actually, their companies are larger. They, they have higher revenue, they have more employees. But I think if you asked a random person in the industry, which of our two companies was larger, they'd probably say ours because so many people talk about it because that's been our whole strategy is just kind of increasing word of mouth. Whereas there's like an ad is kind of a very private experience. You're on your phone, you get an Instagram ad, you sign up for something. You don't necessarily talk about it. You don't necessarily, you don't see other people engaging with it. So that's been our strategy. It's very long-term term and kind of 
um, painful at times, but <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask you about that because yeah. in the beginning, we're developing this content because I feel like there's a monetization portion that basically covers or exceeds the cost at this point. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning, you had to invest a lot. Yeah. Did you do a bunch of tests so you knew that this was going to work? I'd say that we've kind of accidentally stumbled in this. Mm. So we started an agency. We actually got burnt out just because we didn't know how to run a sustainable business. We hired junior people and then we couldn't get ourselves out of the weeds. Like we had to work on client accounts because the people we hired were not, you know, experienced enough to be able to handle themselves. So that meant that as we grew, we just worked more. So we got kind of burnt out. And at the same time, we kind of identified a kind of gap in the market where early stage founders have the most amount of needs. Uh, Like they have no idea what they're doing. They don't have any resources, but they also means that they can't pay for external help. And also because their product and everything is changing every week, it's very hard for them to work with an external party. Like, for example, we'd work with them at the agency, we'd write, you know, we'd make them landing pages, we make all like uh, websites and, and ads and all that. And then the next week, they'd be like, Oh, we've completely changed markets, or uh, can you rewrite everything again? And, uh, you know, if you work with Microsoft, that doesn't really happen, because they really snoo things like once every three years. So we decided to kind of take all of our internal training documentation that we had created because we kept hiring junior people and we kind of turned it into a a course that kind of walked startups through what we would do for clients in say the first four months of working with them. Then we could just, uh, we could lower the cost. We'd allow them to learn it themselves and hopefully scale themselves up enough that eventually they can afford external marketing help. And perhaps that that external help is, is us. So yeah, we started that. We got accepted by Combinator and we tried to f- hire somebody to take over our agency. And it mm-hmm. unfortunately was not, again, it was not the right hiring decision. So we shut our agency down. And then we, about two years ago, we found somebody crazy enough that loves running and building agencies and we hired him to build it for us. Mm. Yeah. So I actually think all of my daily effort goes towards demand curve. I have very limited interaction with bell curve because i found somebody like the first 20 minutes of talking to ian the ceo of of bell curve i was like i had no right running an agency when a human like like this exists (laughs) because it's just clearly what his passion is it's how his brain works he's done it before so i've kind of found somebody that i trust and then i like I consider it his business and I just let him run it. And I make, maybe I give him an odd idea every here and there, but it's completely on him to decide whether that's something he wants to to do or not. So great. Yeah. Fantastic. Is there, that's very insightful. Is there anything that um, I did not ask you, but you wanted to share or cover? So one thing I, I've been thinking or writing about recently. And it's like when we designed our agency, we really wanted it to not be a commodity. And I think for probably the construction materials industry, probably often have to deal with being a somewhat commoditized product. So yeah, I, th- I think the five things that kind of differentiate a like a commoditized product, it kind of comes down to being price. Like, are you cheaper than somebody else? Availability, like can they get the pipes for the plumbing job today versus tomorrow quality, like 
are the pipes just better? Brand, do they just generally like your brand of pipes versus somebody other else's? And then kind of the last would be marketing. Like, do you just marketing or sales? Like, do you just sell it better? Do you just make it, are you there? Do you contact people when they actually really need it? Or do you just like make it sound like it's better? And then whether somebody buys from you or a competitor kind of depends on their how much they value each of those five things in that moment. Like if they have a client that really, they just need to start doing work on today and they need pipes, then they're going to go to the person that can get them pipes today. Even if it costs more, it's lower quality or they've never worked with them before. So that's whereas like, if you think of an Airbnb, for example, the reasons you might choose one Airbnb over another is like, basically an infinite number of decisions and it kind of ends up coming down to feel because you know it could be location number of bedrooms or beds or the style of house a location and whether it's an accessible house or whether it's specifically on a beach or the view you have you know there's just an infinite number of things so it's kind of comes down to like how can you become less of a commoditized thing? So for us, when we were starting our agency, we tried to not to just be a Facebook ads agency because, you know, and that again, you're kind of competing over price availability and brand. So like, how can you instead shift it to where somebody else isn't doing it? And instead we're being paid because we're strategic thinkers, we're individuals that people just want to work with and we have unique perspectives trying to get away from being a commodity or just like, if you are fully a commodity, like trying to optimize those five things. So I'm part of that. If like, you're not going to opt compete over price, like at least try to do it over branding or marketing. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, a lot of construction companies are in that. Yeah. Oh, so for sure. Yeah. And it's like one of the problems with being commoditized too. It's like, if one of your competitors just happens to find some sort of way to make the product twice as cheap, then, you know, it even comes down to say you're a copywriter or you're a designer, you're an artist, and you learn how to leverage AI to create content faster, then you can, you can have 10 times as many clients and you can charge the charge, you know, half as much. You're making even more money and the clients are happy because they, they get it faster and cheaper. So it also comes down to like, how good is your like R&D to try to kind of improve the processes so it ends up being cheaper or faster, so. Absolutely, you brought it up. So I have to ask, how is AI going to change marketing going forward? It's a great question. I think, yeah, the, the main things that are kind of coming out, it's like, yeah, you can make images, you can make designs, you can make, you can get it to write you content briefs, you can get it to make first drafts, so. I think it's going to drastically increase the speed that a lot of stuff is being made. Like it's way easier to edit something than it is to write something, but it also like the level of quality that it currently produces is not super high. And it also doesn't produce original thought. Like it's going to take the average thought from online and kind of, kind of make that. So I think it puts more of a focus on kind of higher quality thought leadership content versus just like before we turned the microphones on, we kind of talked about how like, you know, 20 years ago, if you just like made a website because there wasn't all that much competition, like you'd probably just have some sort of success. Just like if you had kind of written content optimized to get people from Google, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 
you would crush it because nobody else was specifically trying to write SEO content. Now it's just like, everyone's trying to do that. And the strategies that people do, is like, they just look, okay, these keywords, oh, this article exists. I'm just going to sort of copy it. Maybe I tweak a little bit of things. Maybe I try to improve it by 2%. So when you have the proliferation of AI that can just like pump out an infinite number of amount of content that kind of just copies everything else, then it makes it Google really has to try to like, just look for the the top content and ignore all of the very similar or just uh, not interesting stuff. So yeah, things will be, I think quality become more important. And I think just speed of everything will just be so much higher. So. Sure, sure. Neil, you're in Victoria. So one of these days, you know, if you ever get over on Vancouver side, I think you probably do sometimes. We have to connect, but uh, thank you for uh, sharing your knowledge. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.